And let's go ahead and do the smart thing before we get started. Have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. Thankful just for the time of fellowship and worship. And I want to pray for your blessing upon all those serving in the back. That you just bless those kids as they grow and go deeper in you in all ways and all things. Lord, also for the teaching in here. As always, let your spirit lead. You teach. We listen. And uh, lots of upcoming events. Lots of Bible studies starting up. Just pray your blessing to be upon that. And we lift this up in your name. And Lord, as always, we give you everything. All things in your name. Amen. Luke 22. We are down to our final three chapters in our study in the book of Luke. Only three chapters left. But if you do look at this, Luke 24, 53 verses. Luke 23, 56 verses. And Luke 22, 71 verses. We have roughly five more years to cover these final three chapters. It's tough because these final three chapters are very, very important. The last few chapters have been the final week of Christ's life. We are down now to literally the final hours of his life. We're going to introduce tonight the idea of uh, the Passover, where he partakes of that, commonly referred to as the Last Supper. And then once that's going on, pretty soon he's going to get arrested in the garden, then he's on trial with Pontius Pilate, etc., and then he goes to the cross. So we're really getting down here in these last few chapters to the final moments, if you will, of the life of Christ. So what we have here tonight, we're going to try to do um, the first uh, 13 verses of chapter 22. We'll pick up the pace next week, because next week we really get into the Lord's Supper and Communion and what that means and represents. But there's a theme here in these first 13 verses, and this theme is preparation. Things getting prepared, things getting ready. And you'll see that, how much stuff is going on behind the scenes and how this applies to us today too. So Luke 22 verse 1, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains on how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. So what we have here is the beginning of the end, if you will. Judas is now making this deal with the Jewish leaders. He's going to arrange a price for Christ, and then what he's going to do is make sure he can let them know when Jesus is going to be alone, because if they would do it in the multitude, they're concerned that there would be a little bit of a revolt when they came to arrest Christ. So this is what he does. He waits till Christ is alone in the garden praying, and that's where they come arrest him. Now, Judas, this doesn't surprise Christ. It's prophesied back in the book of Psalms that one of the twelve would be betraying Jesus. Jesus knows this. We're going to get to this in a little bit. Christ knows exactly who his betrayer is. Nothing is shocking the Lord when it comes to this. Nothing in any way whatsoever. We're the only ones that get shocked by things. God has got a pretty good timetable and plan on what he's doing. I heard a pastor say one time, there's only one person shocked when he sins, and that's himself. Everybody else knows he's a sinner, but yet we still think, we still think we're not going to sin. Have you ever had that thought? I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought, I can't believe I responded in the flesh in that way. Ask somebody who loves you. They'll believe that you could do it because they know you. We are still surprised and shocked when things happen and we don't handle things in a Christ-like way. So we look here at verses 1 through 6, and there's part of the flesh that says, Oh no, Judas is going behind the scenes and he's working this out with Jesus. Jesus knows this. Jesus is prepared for this. Prophesies back in the book of Psalms. Christ himself knows that the end is coming. He made it very clear back in Luke 9. He goes, I steadfastly set myself to go to Jerusalem. Christ is here to die. Now, we love the book of Luke. We love the beginning We love talking about Christmas and Nativity, and it's amazing 
we're one week into September, and the idea of Christmas is already starting to pop up. Jesus did not come for Christmas. He came to die. And what you see in these last few chapters is preparation for Christ to go to the cross. Because that's all that matters. And the way this works is Judas was used in that capacity because Judas chose to be used in that capacity. He was willing to betray Christ. He was willing to take the money to do this. And Satan came in and entered Judas in verse 3. And so look at verse 6. He promised and sought opportunity to betray him in the absence of the multitude. Christ is not surprised by this, but yet we are. Let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about this idea of being prepared. Can you go with me to 2 Thessalonians 3? Christ isn't surprised by this. Why do we get surprised by stuff? Why do we get worked up on these things? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, please. There's a little phrase here that I like to use. I like to call it preparation prayer. Preparation prayer is I'm preparing myself through prayer for things that I don't even know that's coming. I don't even know what those things may be, but I'm still praying about it. I'm still preparing. Christ was prepared for Judas to betray him. Why? Because Christ obviously knew the plan. But one thing you see about Jesus, he was constantly in prayer. So let's talk about this idea of prayer preparation. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. This is a prayer of preparation. Paul is asking the church here in verse 1, pray that the doors may be opened for us, that we may be a, get a chance to witness. And look at verse 2, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Now, there's nothing in the context of Second Thessalonians to say that this was already happening, this is a prayer of preparation. We know we're going to run into unreasonable and wicked men. Can you start praying for us right now? Here's the problem that we run into the church. Too often our prayers are reactive. We go to the doctor, we get the bad diagnosis, will you please start praying for me? We go to work, work goes downhill, it's a bad day, would you please start praying for me? Okay, that's good, don't get me wrong. But there's also this time of praying even before you know what the day brings. One of the first things I do when I get up in the morning is, Lord, I don't know what's going to bring me today. I got my little calendar. I know I got an appointment at 10. I know I got an appointment at 1. But, Lord, whatever phone calls come, whatever emails come, whatever texts come, I pray, Lord, that you would prepare us for that. I've shared with you before that anytime someone comes up to me and says, Hey, I got a question for you. I do a quick one-second prayer. Lord, wisdom, please. I have no idea what that question is. And so this is a time of preparation. Because you really don't know. And you need to be prepared and ready. I try to take a family day on Friday, so I usually shut the phone off Thursday evening and on to Friday. Sometimes there's a church event on Friday, so the family day gets moved to a different day. But So when I turn my phone back on, before I even turn it on, Lord, whatever texts, whatever emails, whatever phone calls were left, I pray for wisdom, preparation. And why do we do devotions in the morning? A time of preparation, because here's the thing. You don't know what the day is going to bring. You don't know who you're going to run into. You don't know what that situation at work is going to be. I want to be prepared and prayed up for this. Just like Paul is saying here, pray for us. This is a general prayer. Pray that the word of the Lord may be run swiftly, be glorified, that we'll be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. I tell you, if you're married, do preparation prayer for your spouse. Lord, I just pray, bless my spouse today. I don't know what they're going to run into. Be with them. Pray it for your kids. Pray it for your parents. Pray it for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Just a prayer of Lord, prepare them for what it may be. Jesus was not shocked or amazed by anything because obviously he is Lord and he has that communication and he knows and understands, but he also set an example for us of being prayed up before the event 
even happens. I encourage you in your walk with the Lord to be prayed up and ready. So that way you're not surprised or ambushed by the things. Because these things are coming. To build on this, go continue on in Luke chapter 22 here. Look at verse 7. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to him, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him to the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Completely ready. It wasn't like the Passover came upon them suddenly. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit. To do the Passover took a lot of preparation, actual physical getting ready for it. We did a Passover meal a few years ago out here. And there's a lot of prep that goes into it. It's not something you whip together in a few minutes. So this being all set up and ready to go, this is God's perfect timetable. This is exactly what the Lord had in planned. And so the Lord was not shocked. Passover did not sneak up on him. He had this prepared. He had this ready. Listen, I'm surprised, not God. He knows what's going on, and we need to trust this. The Lord knew that Judas was going to do it. The Lord knew Passover was coming. I just read recently, a pastor said, think of the people that Jesus surrounded himself with in his final moments. He surrounded himself with Judas, who was a betrayer, Thomas, who was a doubter, and Peter, that was a denier. Now think about that. Your final moments in life, and those are the people you want to hang around with. No. He was looking at it from a ministry perspective, and we'll get into this in a couple weeks. He still had a heart for Judas even though Judas was getting ready to betray him. You see this constant preparation of the Lord saying, Trust me. I know this. Why don't we trust him? Because we're human. Can you go with me to Psalm 37? Let's build on this idea of not trusting. Because I'm willing to bet there's some people here this morning that you have events going on in your life right now. And to be honest, the whole trusting him in the big picture is kind of difficult. There's probably some people here this morning that you have situations on the horizon and you see them coming and trusting in Him is a little bit difficult. The Lord is trying to show us in these first 13 verses of Luke chapter 22 that whatever is coming His way for His final moments on this earth, He's ready for it. He knows about Judas. He knows about the Passover. He is ready for this. He wants to set the example for us. Psalm 37 is a wonderful chapter on trusting the Lord. Look at Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, verse 1, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Jump ahead to verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, verse 4 of Psalm 37 is very famous. That passage is quoted by many people. And if you just read that passage, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Doesn't that sound like a blank check from God? The Lord gives me whatever I want. And I've heard people say this. I've heard pastors teach on this. That if you have feelings for that guy or that girl, and they don't have feelings back, God will give you the desires of your heart. The Lord will make that person. That almost sounds creepy. The Lord will make that person fall in love with you. Now, I believe verse 4 is great. I believe God will give me the desires of my heart. Do you realize how scary that is? I know the desires of my heart. Sometimes the desires of my heart are very un-Christ-like, sinful desires. So God is going to answer that prayer? No. As always with Scripture, read the verses before it and after it. So you want the desires of your heart? Verse 3, will trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. See, when I trust in the Lord, 
and I commit my way to the Lord, the desires of my heart are the desires of the Lord. Then it all comes together. Problem is, we want verse 4 without trusting in the Lord or committing our way to the Lord. It doesn't work that way. When I commit my way to the Lord and I trust in the Lord, then my desires become God's desires. And I truly want what He wants then. But we're talking about timing and preparation. So what happens next? Verse 7, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Look at these wording one more time. Verse 3, trust him. Verse 4, delight in him. Verse 5, commit, trust him. Verse 7, rest in him. Verse 7, wait patiently on him. Do not fret, verse 7. Do not fret, verse 8. If you're the type of person where God's timetable is not your timetable, this passage is for you. Do not fret. Wait patiently in the Lord. Commit your ways to Him. Trust in Him. And trust He's got it all figured out. He took care of the Judas thing. He took care of the Passover thing. He's got the big picture. Now, God loves you, but some of you are fretters. You worry about everything. I've even met people that worry when they don't have something to worry about. Something bad's coming around. I don't know what it is. I just know it. That's not a gift of the Spirit. My oldest son is a fretter. Dawn and I had a uh, kind of a day date yesterday. We were gone for the afternoon. And so Elias would call us, and he's just worked up. You know, when are you coming home? What are you doing? How's it going? And he just frets. He needs to know the details of everything. If I would want to drive Elias crazy, I would just go up to him and say, Sometime today, Elias, we're leaving, and I'm not telling you when, and I'm not telling you where. That would drive him crazy. Now, for some of you, if I would do that, you'd be like, hey, life goes on. That's fine. For others of you, no, I need to know where. I need to know when. What do I pack? What do I bring? Everybody's personality is different. There are some people that fret. They fret about everything. They need to commit, trust, wait patiently, rest. Look at these passages. How simple is this? I love the end of verse 8. Do not fret. It only causes harm. It does. It causes harm. When I get worked up in worry... It affects me emotionally, it affects me spiritually, and it affects me physically. Worry is a powerful, powerful tool to be used against us. And you know what else I notice about people that fret? If you look at verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. It seems like that's a strange verse kind of thrown in there in the middle. This is what I notice, take it or leave it. People that live in worry and fret eventually start getting angry. Because what happens is their world is so out of whack because they're walking in worry and fretting about things. They become angry and they take their anger out on what? Their loved ones. You've got to be careful here. You have to go back to the whole, once again, verse 3. If you've got a pen, you want a market, market. Trust. Four, delight. Five, commit. Then trust. Verse 7, rest. Wait patiently. Verse 9, do not fret. That is where we need to be. If we can trust that the Lord can handle Judas going behind his back to betray him, if we can trust that God can miraculously prepare the Passover meal, think about that. The Passover meal. Hey, guys, go into town. You see this guy with a pitcher of water. Go up to him and ask to eat the Passover there in his upper room. That's unbelievable. To think that the Lord just worked out all those details and then that they just went and ate in the upper room. Now, I've never been to Israel. But I've been told that you can go see the actual upper room where Jesus ate. There's about ten of them over there, supposedly, because they're all tourist traps. But there's this idea, they did this. God just took care of it. 
Now, we believe that passage. I think we all probably here would believe that's true. So why don't we believe that when the Lord speaks to our heart through prayer or the word, hey, it's going to be okay this week. It's not going to be okay this week. Do you know what I got going on, Lord? Come on. Do not fret. It only causes harm. The Lord says, trust me. God's timing is perfect. I wrote on the bottom of my notes here, God's timing is perfect. It does not mean it's what you like. It does not mean it's what you want. But His timing is perfect. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Now, we need to, though, understand this whole Passover unleavened bread. It's been mentioned a couple times here. And speaking of God's perfect timing, uh, please go to Exodus chapter 12. We've just got two more passages to look at. One in Exodus, and we're going to go to finish up in Corinthians. In Exodus chapter 12, it gives us the background of the Passover and unleavened bread. This is God's perfect timing. Jesus, well, could have died on any day of the week. Could have died at any season. He specifically went to the cross during Passover. Specifically went to the cross during Passover. God's perfect timing. So if God has purposely went to the cross during the time of Passover, it's important to understand why. We just sang in the last worship song, I believe it was this morning, we talked about Jesus being the Lamb. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the Passover. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, the background is the Jews are enslaved in Egypt. Moses is now on the scene. They're getting ready to take the Jews out of Egypt. Hence the term Exodus. They're leaving. But before they do this, they do the Passover. Verse 3, Exodus chapter 12. On the tenth of the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for his household. Verse 4, and if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbors next to his house take according to it. So I would take a lamb for my family. If you had a small family, verse 4, you would share a lamb with your neighbors. Verse 5, the lamb has to be perfect. No spot, no blemish, it has to be perfect. Now we have to stop here for a second. I've shared this with you before. Have patience with me. I grew up on a farm. Grew up, uh, we had sheep. And I still think to this day, baby lambs are the cutest animals I've ever seen in my life. They're just absolutely adorable. The little noises they make, their fluffiness, they are very cute. Every now and then we would have a, uh, a ewe that would not be able to take care of the lamb. And we'd have to bottle feed it. I distinctly remember one time as a kid walking into our bathroom and there's a lamb in our tub. And just cute. Absolutely adorable. And you may disagree, but you're wrong. Because lambs are just adorable. Now, what makes this interesting is verse 6. Now you should keep it until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Well, think about that. You pick up the lamb on the 10th, verse 3, and you kill it on the 14th. Now, what would happen at the Irvin household? I would go get my lamb. I'd bring it home. What would my boys do? They'd fall in love with that lamb. Immediately. Immediately. The little lamb would bow. They'd become friends. For four days, you've got to feed this thing. So for four days, this little lamb becomes the key component of your family, of your house. And they would become so emotionally attached to it. Yesterday, the boys, oh, it was two days ago, the boys called a pray mantis. They wanted to bring it in the house. Dawn said no, because she's mean. And so the boys became emotionally attached to this pray mantis in five minutes. Now imagine a baby lamb for four days. So after taking care of this lamb and everybody petting the lamb, can I take a turn feeding the lamb? Can I do this with the lamb? Day four, four days later, guess what dad does? I'm not trying to be crass. I take the lamb's neck and I slit its throat. Blood all over. All over me, all over everything. 
That's what we did. Now, what do you think that's going to do to those kids? That's tragic. That's a visual. Imagine as an adult, as an adult man, you've taken care of this lamb for four days, and all of a sudden you go out four days later, and this little thing is looking at you, expecting to be fed, and you take its neck and you slit its throat. That's the Passover lamb. Then you don't even just slit a throat. Verse 7, you take the blood, you put it on the doorpost, and then verse 8, you eat it. Now you're going to your kids. Fluffy that we took care of for four days is now supper. There is a huge visual here. This visual is the lamb is Christ. And so what happens is we become attached to Christ. But yet I killed Christ. Christ's blood is on my hands. I'm the one that killed him. And then what happens is, verse 8, I partake of Christ by eating of him, becoming one with him. And that's going to get to that in a little bit here. This is an amazing visual. And so there's this attachment to Christ, but yet I'm the one that put the knife to Christ. I'm the one whose blood is on my hands because of my sin of what I did. So when we read the Passover, that lamb is Christ. Now, so when Jesus decided in his perfect timing to die during Passover, this is not a coincidence. He is the Passover lamb that takes care of our sin. And then we even go one step further. Because now, once you're done with Passover, well, you've got to jump ahead. Verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your house. Whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Immediately following Passover is the feast of unleavened bread. Now, this sounds simple. You get rid of all the leaven out of your house and you eat unleavened bread. Now, some of you are going to disagree with me, and that's fine. Generally speaking, unleavened bread doesn't taste as good as, as leavened bread. This sounds like a simple thing. You know how difficult it is to get all leaven out of your house? That's kind of a big deal. Now, we know from Corinthians, and we're going to get to here in a little bit, leaven represents sin. So we have Passover being Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins. He takes care of it. Leaven represents sin. So now I'm supposed to have an unleavened feast in my house, meaning I get rid of all sin out of my house and out of my life. Now, that is a very difficult thing to do. You may be able to get all sin out of your house. I have so much sin stored up in the memory banks of my brain. It's a constant process to say, I want to be more like Christ. And until I end my life in this flesh and I have my glorified body in heaven, there's going to be a battle against sin. And I tell you, that leaven sneaks in everywhere. Think about that real quick. If you're really honest with yourself and your house and in your life, that leaven of sin sneaks in. The boys and I like to watch old uh, superhero cartoons. So we'll go back and we'll watch these cartoons from the 80s, etc. Batman, Superman, etc. and all this other type of stuff. So we're watching this and we're having a good time. Dawn walks in and she sees us watching this. So she pulls me aside, you know, very respectfully, very nicely. And she says, do you think you and the boys should be watching this? I said, why? It's just, you know, good, clean, fun type of stuff. She goes, I know. She goes, but you see how some of those girls are dressed? I said, Dawn, if you're worried about me having thoughts of an 80s sitcom, I mean, cartoon character, I'm not lusting after Wonder Woman. It's okay. You know, I'm fine. She goes, yeah, but the boys are seeing that. I said, I don't think we need to worry about that. Yet. She goes, but the problem is the boys are seeing that, and they're thinking that that's how appropriateness of women dressing, etc., and all this other type of stuff. 
So I said, come on, I think we're kind of making a little bit too big a deal about this. So she let it go. So we keep watching. She comes back, and she sees some stuff, and she comes back, and she came to this passage in Corinthians where it says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And she came, and she said, listen. She goes, I'm not trying to be judgmental. She goes, I'm not trying to be holier than thou. And she's not trying to make a claim on anybody else. She just said, I think that's something that we shouldn't have our boys watching at this point. How can you argue with Scripture? She's right. So what happened is we said, okay, guys, we can watch something else. Yeah, but Dad, we want to watch this and we want to watch that. I know. So we got a chance to talk about how a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Is it easy to get rid of? No, it's not. And I'm not going to sit up here and say, oh, just it's so simple. Love Jesus and put sin away. I wish it was that simple. There's a part of me that likes leaven. And it's hard for me and my house and also in my flesh to truly become unleavened. It really is. Go, if you will, please, to 1 Corinthians 5. Let's bring this all together. 1 Corinthians 5, please. You know, one of the things we do when we do communion, and then we just had communion last Sunday, is there's that great passage where it says, examine yourselves. And we stop during communion and stop and say, take a look at yourself and see if there's anything in there that needs to be taken care of. Is there any leaven? Look at 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? It does. Verse 7, therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. And for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. See how it brings it all together. Verse 8, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. See, it all comes together. Christ is the Passover lamb. And so since we have now experienced the Passover, salvation of Christ, now we're at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where in my life I am choosing to say, Lord, I do not want the sin in my life. It's very easy in Luke 22 to read, it was Passover, Unleavened Bread, fine, I don't get it, I don't care, I'm not Jewish, move on. No. The symbolism there is amazing. Christ is the Passover lamb that was slain for us. After we taste salvation through Christ, we are now in the feast of unleavened bread. This constant desire through the power of the Lord, stress through the power of the Lord, this constant desire to say, Lord, I don't want that leaven in my life. I don't want that anymore. And so we do keep the Passover through Christ. We do keep the feast of unleavened bread by trying to live for the Lord and all that we say and all that we do. God's timing is perfect. He didn't just happen to die during Passover. He planned it. God's timing is perfect. He prepared the meal for Passover, and there's going to be this guy walking with a pitcher of water. Just ask him. So if God can work out all those details, I don't know what you're going to face this week, but he's got it already taken care of. There is a prayer of preparation. I don't know what the rest of the day brings, Lord, but Lord, help me be a light and a witness for you in all that I say and do. Grant me patience. Grant me love. Help me not to let my anger get the best of me. You know, there's nothing wrong with the, once again, reactionary prayers. This just happened, I need to pray. But let's start being more preparation prayer. Lord, go before this week. You know what you struggle with. Lord, help me not to lose my temper at work. Lord, help my mouth not to say those words that shouldn't. Lord, help my eyes not to wander. Whatever it is, you know. And in prayer of preparation, you give that to the Lord. You seek Him in prayer and in the Word. And you say, Lord, be with it. And I'm going to go one step further. Pray for your spouse, your kids, your friends, your loved ones. You don't know what your kids are going to face at school tomorrow. Start praying today for it. Prayer of preparation. Pray that we may be an individual, a family, a body, 
a nation that is open to the moving of the Lord. Lord, prepare our hearts to seek you. Once again, as an individual, as a, as a fine family, as a body of Christ, as a nation, to truly seek you, Lord, in all things. We want to be ready for our Passover lamb, and we want to be ready for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. God, help us to do that. Marv, we're going forward here for the final song. Just want to remind everybody, lots of, lots of things going on. Don't forget next Saturday, Harvest Party at the Home of the Winsingers. Hope you can make it out for that. Mom's Group Study starts Tuesday if you're interested. We also got studies on Monday and uh, Thursday is Young Adults Friday. 